This is the podcast called 12 plus 1 Wisdom Fires. And we will speak more about why 12 plus 1 and also Wisdom Fires. But first, an introduction of the four of us. Hi, I'm Nadia. I call myself at the moment Innovation Culture Catalyst, but I had many names I went by. I was a project engineer. I was also at some point flipping burgers at McDonald's. That was before I became a vegetarian. I'm also a mom. That's a very important factor, particularly when it comes to uh, something unique about me, which is that I sing Christmas carols when I bring my daughter to bed. I'm Austrian by nationality, and those were the only songs that I could recall when I was sitting next to my little baby and was trying to sing her to sleep. Hi, I'm Danny. And the special thing I do, I always listen. Since birth, I just really like to listen. And that not only with my ears, but with my heart and my whole body, I would say. And I love living to the max this way. Because it's like, I just feel this. And it just happens. And I try to make sense of it. That doesn't always work. But I have a lot of fun with it. And this combination makes it special to reach my heart, but also the heart of the people. And I just love doing that. So what I finally became is a firekeeper. I studied nursing, agriculture, IT, and became also a craniosacral therapist to really read the bodies on every language. But I finally became a firekeeper. Holding that fire in the room is one of the most beautiful things I feel I can do. And it's just my mission. And bringing this to the people, the companies, groups, is just amazing. And it's always opening doors. And people start sharing. And that's when the magic starts. And that's how we got together. And I just love this. Thank you for having me here. My name is Helene van Engelen, and what I really love is how people develop, and I mean on every, every age, so children, young adults, adults. I really love how people grow and transform, and at the end really become who they are. So transformation is one of the biggest things in my whole life. And I've been working in a corporate environment, working with families, and now I became a firekeeper. So this is really about talking with your soul and talking from your soul, talking from your heart, you could also say. And being that, I think one of the most unique things I have is that I always listen to what, what is really the energy people speaking from. So... It's where the message comes from. And there is a difference between your heart and your head. So I'd love to see how people really connect with this heart space. Hi, my name is Frank and I'm very happy to be here. I've been in corporate life for many years. And a few years back I was invited to reflect on where I was in my professional journey. And... I realized that I was rather stuck. the ways I was stuck in wasn't really serving me and wasn't serving the planet. 
And from that, I asked myself a very big question, and that was about um, living truthfully, what that would mean. And I've tried to make a change and start living the truthful past. Now, everybody has its own truth, and so do I, so the truth perhaps doesn't exist. But uh, reflecting on some of the beliefs that I had, uh, living from mostly my mind and not so much my heart, when I made that change, I arrived in a very different point. And when I involve my feelings and my heart much more in the decision-making and basically try to do what I believe is right rather than doing what we can get away with, um, your outlook on life changes and almost automatically the actions, your decisions will change um, in its following. So, happy to be here and would like for this to be an invitation for wisdom generating leadership. So the topic that we picked for our very first episode, yay, is farmers, government and the nitrogen problem in the Netherlands. It's a quite hot topic, portrayed in the media as something like, oh, the farmers, the victims and the government, the perpetrators. It's one dynamic. There are many more dynamics to it. So we had a look at it and um, said, okay, so there's something about difficult negotiations here. And we also looked at uh, uh, the Paris Climate Agreement from 2015, where Christiana Figueres, who was the architect of that agreement, discovered for herself that when she actually went into herself and did her personal reflection on how the negotiations went, that she herself was stuck in a victim-perpetrator dynamic. And when she transcended that in her, it had a powerful effect on helping to unpack the difficulties in the negotiations. So, what other perspectives are there on the farmers and the government? How can they get out of the trenches? How to navigate difficult negotiations? Yeah, beautiful question. Good departure point in negotiations is also understand, is always understand the other's perspective, the other's situation, the other's motives. And oftentimes in negotiations or when there are different parties that are in different places in on a particular subject where you want to bring them together, what helps is to find the common ground. It's typically a higher objective that needs to be achieved where both parties can corral behind, if you like. So, interesting to hear from Danny or Lynn how they have experienced that. What I find really interesting, what you're sharing, is that she started looking in herself. So I think that's a beautiful first step, that we start finding in ourselves the dynamic which is playing outside of us too. So... I think that's a beautiful step she showed us. And from there, when you change the dynamic in yourself, something else will change outside you. So that's that's a starting point, I think, also in negotiations. And I love the way you're sharing that you have to find a common ground. But first you have to see what's going on here before you start seeing the common ground. To me, when I look at this, it really feels like there's two huge opposites of actually our country that are 
almost demanding listening, listening to both of them. And I totally love the agriculture people because I lived with them for quite a few years. And I also love the politics. That's something inherited in me. But it's like my, my right and my left arm aren't working together in this moment. And this feels hurtful because however we look at it, on both sides, parties are being hurt. And I really, and I honestly would love to know what's really, because it's not only the problem with the nitrogen, which is one of the topics that's coming out, but there's way more going on that we're frustrated about not listening to. And this is working out and playing out in the bigger theme. And I even think that we as, as Dutch people, the whole Dutch society should have a look, really have a look, deeper inside look to themselves. Indeed. And that's the thing. Because from the outside, when I look at this dynamic, you know, being an engineer by background and training, I'm like, well, you know, here the farmers, they need to, and they actually want to change their farming practices, right? We hear these stories about that they have been going to Rabobank, trying to get actually credits and loans for different kind of farming practice. But then Rabobank says, well, uh, that is too risky. We're not going to finance it. Now, there's this weird thing happening about banks actually dictating what's happening in terms of food and agriculture. So that is the first dynamic where you think, hang on a minute, how, how is it possible that that could happen? Okay. It's interesting that you're mentioning the banks. I think there are many parties involved in this whole dynamic. It's not only the government and the farmers, but it's also um, the European uh, community. It's, it, there, there's so much coming together in this subject. So it makes it really difficult to only see two parties. It's, it, it's everything. And there's something we tend to go into the surface. So what is playing out here or what is being said or what is happening and why are they in this position right now and why is the government opposite to the farmers? So we look at the struggle, we look at the war going on between them because it's a way, in a way it looks like a war. Um, the way they are, they try to, to bring their, um, voice into, into the society is by doing all kinds of actions. And the way the government is reacting is also, but there's something that we tend to go into the surface, what's really going on right now. And there's, at the same time, there's a really big story behind it because it's all the steps taken which brought us to this, this dynamic right now. And for me, I, f I find it really difficult to see all the elements playing out here. I really get confused or I really don't want to take position because I'd like to balance everything always. So I find it really difficult to see what's really going, but what I see in myself, it's, it's that I get, I get this tension, I get there's something good or something wrong, so I, I try to see, do I have to take in a, a, a party, right or left, or do I, what, what's my responsibility in this? I think then that's where we perhaps go wrong, eh? the very mm -hmm. word of negotiation that frames the dynamic between the players. Mm -hmm. If I look at the distance at both parties, if you just sort of limit it to the, uh, the Hague, if you like, and the farming community, uh, 
They both have the same objective, and it is to do no harm to nature. Uh, it is the minister who, fueled by scientific evidence and all sorts of reports that indicate that the way we go about our uh, farming, and particularly the livestock farming, is uh, to the detriment of the quality of the biodiversity in the Netherlands. If I look at the farmers and the way they go about their business, and I've got one living across the street, they do everything to do it in the most responsible way. So interesting that you've got two parties who have the same objective and don't find each other on that objective. And my impression is that it's come down to how you go about change. And one of the basic rules of change is that people don't like to be changed. They'd like to be part of their destiny. And so perhaps in the way they approached it, they've missed a trick. I think so. Um, Because that involves deeper listening and really allowing whatever is stuck there inside the persons, inside the organizations to come out. So Danny, are you suggesting that maybe we need something like a truth and reconciliation process like they have done in South Africa? Really well be, because we need parties to really open up because there's a lot of wisdom in both parties actually. And we need both of them on the same topic. They are already on the same topic, but now we need to get to know this in the the same way too. And the interesting thing is that, in fact, this could be a fantastic opportunity to collectively develop an approach to how to address the systemic change that's necessary. Because we find these issues not just in agriculture, we see it in the energy transition, we see it in drinking water, we see it in so many aspects of society that are gradually getting stuck where a similar kind of yeah, coming together about a shared objective is required and then suspend one's own uh, interests and really work back from the shared interests and see what is necessary to make the first baby steps towards meaningful change. You know, that's interesting because, Frank, you have done quite a few complex transformations in your career and also your own personal transformation. Share a bit of wisdom about that. I think this, well, I said the way I've experienced them are pretty similar. So my personal transformation started with truth, uh, living from truth, from my own truth. And for too long, I lived other people's expectations. And in so doing, I in part also lost, let's say, my own foundation in the process. And it's a, um, it's a basically the way I deciphered it very simply is the difference between doing what's intrinsically right, heartfelt, and that what you can get away with, which typically is cognitive dif- dissonance. And, and what would that be? What are the examples that you experienced in your life for that? Yeah, I can give many experiences, but let's, uh, building on what, um, Helen said about starting with self, you know, uh, Basically, that insight at some point has sparked this journey in a completely different direction, starting to live much more from my own truth and actually having the courage to listen to what is intrinsically right. And I have the conviction that everybody has that little voice in the back of their heads or hearts that tells them what is the right thing to do in a particular situation. And then uh, we have the tendency to tell ourselves a story that in some shape or form complicates the issue and then we go off on a tangent and do something completely different. Was there a special moment when this happened? Sometimes we have like a moment in life where really something comes together and we start 
doing something different or we feel something different and that's like a starting point like a catalyst it was when i rather abruptly left my last employer where the business practices did not reconcile with my personal values and so in that role in an executive board of a multinational company where you're actually being lived and you you live at a fairly high pace I didn't really have the opportunity to reflect and when I went from 160 degree uh, sort of kilometers an hour to 30 kilometers an hour all of a sudden the opportunity presented itself just to reflect more deeply at how I was going about my life and what was of value and what wasn't and that's basically when I had this insight about living out of people's expectations versus living truth. I remember you telling me that you were um, confronted with a question that left you absolutely speechless. And that question was, if I recall correctly, Frank, how are you dealing with vulnerability? That's true, yeah. That was in the desert in on the border of Angola and Namibia when I was on a personal leadership journey with a number of other senior leaders in, in Dutch corporations. And um, of course, the leadership journey starts with a brief introduction of your own life story. And when I, when I was done with my introduction, that was... Which was carefully sandwiched, right? Yeah, so I was doing my introduction uh, uh, within a certain bandwidth, uh, yes. because both professionally and privately, there were certain things that I thought I'd rather not share, because uh, I felt that was not for the public domain. And that triggered the question about vulnerability. And I completely choked when the question was asked. And the other uh, participants in the trip had to come to the rescue with plausible answers. <laughs> so the following answer, I sort of the following day, I picked up on this question. And uh, basically, that was the trigger point for the journey I'm at right now. So bringing that back into um, the experiences that uh, Helen and uh, Dani have also with their firekeeping. It's coming there with um, the farming community, the thing about being vulnerable, deep listening. What experiences did you have there? Well, for me, especially the farmers, to me, they're so honest. They really have a, a feeling for the people. They really want to do this for the big group and we, and also want to have a decent life. Uh, which to me is really beautiful because they do it largely outside, even though it's really getting differently these days. But there's really beauty in there. And the beauty is they're alive on way more ways than the most people think or even can. And what do you mean by being more alive? So honest, so open, always willing to talk, always willing to do what is necessary. They'll go there. And this I totally honor in these people. And I also like the other group in this case, because they have similar parts. They're addressing this from a totally different point of view, but they have similar parts. And to me, all of this, because it's so, they're so opposites of the, the same topic. It's like mind and heart are going, switching every time. It's like one is more, we think that the government is more talking from the head and the people of the, the agriculture group is talking more from the heart. But during the conversations, you see it switching the people. Because sometimes 
when we start and are getting angry or really touched about a subject, we used to tend to come from the head. Because we step back in old memories or everything. And it's really time to start listening and resolve what wants to be resolved because we're, we really have to see we're in this together. It's We have to get out of the, the confrontation of this. We really get back on track with what we have to do as a country. And we actually need both sides at the table. But I also think we need a third party. In my feeling, both parties lost it. Lost it already <laughs> a few years ago. Because when, I think especially after the Second World War, things really changed. And we were more into profit and more into um, making processes as good as possible with less cost and whatever. And what, what you saw was that farming, how it used to be, changed. So we have those big fields now and we have one, one, uh, how do you say that? One, co- one monoculture. Yeah. A monoculture. And I think the same in a way happened also in politics. We, we also lost it over there. So I think when we look back to our ancestors and to ancestors before, <laughs> then we see that it's all part of us. We all stepped in there and it's all part of our heritage. If we are farmer, if we are politic, it doesn't really matter. It's all kind of a way we started looking at things. And I think the beauty of what's happening right now is that we started looking differently. We start seeing that the way we did this is is causing a lot of problems. And we also feel the urge to start dealing with it in a different way and that we want a different future for our children, for ourselves, but especially for our children. And as we can see this, as we recognize this, the moment we do that, we have to also take action. We have to do something different. And But I think we all, from from which party we are looking, we all have this in ourselves. We all have this in our system. So when we start taking different decisions in ourselves, and it doesn't matter who you are, every little decision you take, it will help the future in a different direction. So it always starts in ourselves and um, so that's what I feel as my responsibility and I hope people around us also feel this responsibility to start acting from there to start acting that we can make a change we can we can start this up even if it's just a small step but as soon as we see what's really happening and I think your listening is really uh, an important part in there when we start recognizing this and we start seeing this, then we know when we start coming together what the next steps will be. Yeah, and, the, and the thing here is to build on also what Frank and Danny have said and you, is it takes courage. Mm-hmm. It takes courage because you're stepping outside of a comfort zone, outside of a comfort zone of a behavior that we have practiced quite a while. Yeah, what I like about uh, Elena's earlier suggestion and also what uh, this lady Vigueres has uh, uh, taken as her departure point is the self and that's where it starts and it, I think it's very important in this stage 
of the proceedings that we suspend judgment, which you also see occurring now in the dialogue between the different stakeholders around the nitrogen problem. My belief is that it's just a phase we have to go through in the in the change journey. Uh, at first, we deny it exists, and we do that in government, and we do that in, perhaps in the banks, and perhaps at the farming community. And over, after a while, we see that it is not going to go away, and we have to start paying attention. But we're still yeah, in a contraction. Yeah? We're still a little bit in resistance. And our first departure point, of course, is, is our own interest. And this may well just be our reptilian brain playing up, I don't know. Uh, but uh, after a while, we then see that that approach is not effective in getting to a solution. And then you get to a point where perhaps we begin to relax a little bit in self and don't try to negotiate from this energetic contraction. And it's only then that we begin to see a broader picture and be, allow more information in that will allow us to get to richer decision-making. Is that also what you used in, because uh, I know that you have been in quite uh, difficult negotiations also in business, and that was also before your, if I may call it, your awakening, quote-unquote, awakening. Was this also a conscious approach that you used in your negotiations? Well, not in a manipulative way, but I've experienced it a number of times, uh, where I actually, in, in all cases, uh, without exception, and also that the dynamic in the dialogue between parties started shifting when a common position of trust was achieved. So the very moment there is the realization that in this first round of, uh, you know, exchanging of ideas, which we currently call negotiation, which I don't think it is, um, we begin to understand what the other person's perspective is. Huh? So that is the hindered listening that Daniel was talking about earlier. As soon as we start the proper listening and also proper understanding, not just at the heart level, uh, head level, but also at the heart level, that's when the trust starts growing and from that position of trust more difficult decisions can be taken I think in that case we'll go from opponent to um, alliance we'll go from against each other because we need to somehow make our point there to how can we get together a better point yeah Because it's the third point that's going to be interesting. That's why Nadja at an earlier yes. occasion articulated it. We have to move away from the win-lose. That's not all right. If we get to a point where it's a win-win, where everybody wins, and where all parties involved in the solution do their bit from their vantage point to contribute to it, that we're getting somewhere. Indeed. And the win-win has to be for everyone. The people, the society, the planet. Yes. At the same time, we also know that any decision we're going to take for the future will hurt. It will cause pain. And I think this is the most difficult part right now, that we came so far that we have to, when we have to step back and we have to do things differently, it will cause pain. Seeing the pain. We will gain nature, we will gain the earth. But the pain will be caused by that we are so familiar or so used to our way of living, which is not not granted anymore in this way. So I think we all have to do some step. 
but it won't be e- always easy. Like you see right now with the energy, um, it causes a lot of pain what's happening now. And um, especially it's money right now. Um, but I also think that we have to really look at all the decisions we are taking. And especially, I think, for the farmers, it's painful what's happening right now. Because they have to change all the way around where they were maybe pushed a few years ago to go a direction to make it as big as possible and with low cost as possible and anything was maybe supported in that way. Um, But now things have to change and it will cause pain in a way. But also for ourselves, we have to look how we see how we want to grow our food or how we want to buy our food or how we want to do this. So it's not, it's not only they, it's all of us taking a new standpoint or all of us taking a new direction in this and see how does the society as a whole wants to go with this. So there's so, it's like a chain all the time. The, the word pain, I think it's beautiful that it's actually being uh, mentioned. Huh? I mean, uh, this acknowledge that the existence is how people feel about what's happening in all camps, presumably, because they all have to give something up. And it's at the same time a beautiful moment to reframe what we're actually talking about, because it's perhaps not pain, but it's an investment in a better future for future generations. I agree. And that's the interesting bit about pain, right? That's the, um, in any kind of peace negotiation process or any war situation, and that could be, you know, big grand scale, like we see Ukraine and Russia, but it's simply also within us. We all experience war at some point or another, sometimes daily. And for those who are more enlightened, maybe this has ceased, but this is a hard uh, period to go through. And there's always a point where you realize the pain of not changing is higher than the pain of changing. And that's a real consistent in any kind of conflict, like any kind of matured conflict that you also see all around the world. When this point is hit, people are ready again to come back at the table and really negotiate. Well, this is normal process. If you keep on running, you're going to hit a wall. Somewhere there is going to come a wall. It's on, on us, all of us, to slow down and every now and then really take a different look. What wants to be learned here? Where are we really going with all people aboard? Yeah, the trick is to see a situation like we're currently living, um, in this case with the farming community and particularly the livestock, also as an opportunity. And if we just zoom out and observe and try to apply the uh, perspective on different situations. So if you take, for example, the the war in Ukraine eh, or the... um, uh, the illegal uh, appropriation of land by Russia, basically. Um, and the fact that we have to, uh, are invited to reduce the temperature in the household to 90 degrees Celsius. So we're giving up some comfort. And we currently frame it as uh, having to give up something and some pain, where in fact it is healthier. And we find out that, in, in fact, if you put another sweater, actually it is pretty comfortable. And in so doing, you know, uh, it is a stepping stone towards learning about the kind of changes we need to make in our energy system to get to a more sustainable future. So it's actually a very welcome experiment that we are being subjected to, albeit for the wrong reasons.
I really like that we're getting back to our first question that what you're saying that we we will hit a wall if we keep on going like this so we have to step back and have to look inside and have to really start listening to what's really going on and I think that's where the wisdom will grow and that also building on that is something that you said before we actually started this conversation <laughs> which is People are so quickly ready to give away power, right? People are ready to say, oh, I can't do this, or I don't know enough, or actually somewhere down there, uh, they might not even be conscious of it, but on a subconscious level, they think, I, I'm not able to handle this. Yeah, or my contribution isn't nearly big enough given the size of the problem. So... When the president or when the government, they have to decide. But that's not true. We all decide. Every single moment. So I think these are great parting words for our first episode. Um, to the listeners out there, we would love to hear from you. A, what you think of it. Any kind of improvement, of course, is always great. But the most important is we really ask you to give us a topic to talk about. Because, of course, we can come up with many things by just opening the newspaper. But we would love to hear from you what you feel is really relevant for you. And we would love to talk about it. And on behalf of the four of us, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Ruby. Thank you very much. Thank you.